0: star wars material right here that's just going to blow their doors off and they have no idea what to do with this they have no pegs on which to hang what's about to happen and they're totally confused and jesus is explaining i'm not the kind of messiah that you think i am and he takes his three closest disciples peter james and john the inner circle jesus had the crowd and then he had uh, some disciples within the crowd. Then he had the 12 who were close to him that followed him everywhere. And then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. These are his buddies. These are his closest friends. And he's what he's trying to show them is that his idea of messiah- messiahship is not less than theirs, but so much more than they ever dreamed. And so he's going to take them up on the mountain. And when he gets there, he's going to show them that he is not simply just the son of David. He is the son of David. But he's so much more than that, that he's also the son of God himself. Uh, So let's look at this here. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, this statement has confused a lot of people. Uh, it, it has confused a lot of Christians who read it and think, well, Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God was going to come, and it didn't come. And so what does Jesus mean by that? The disciples and the apostles all died without the kingdom coming. How does it, How does that fit? Was Jesus wrong? Other people who are non-Christians look at that statement and they go, yep, Jesus was wrong. He was a false prophet. He predicted that the kingdom would come. It didn't come. And so Jesus was just wrong. But here's something I want you to know about your Bible, okay? This passage, this little verse, is always, every place this story of the transfiguration appears, this verse immediately precedes the transfiguration. Okay? Because what the disciples did not understand, and what many Christians do not understand, is that the kingdom of God exists wherever Jesus is present. And Jesus is present with them right now. And he's going to pull back the curtain and show them exactly who he is. And they're going to see that the kingdom of God is among them right then. And so people who think, well, the kingdom didn't come. Yes, it did. Jesus was there. The king showed up. It looked very different than it than they expected and then it will look one day but nevertheless the kingdom of god did come and it came as just as jesus said it would come with power look at the text here after six days now is anybody dead yet not yet (laughs) okay six days later he took these three guys the some who were standing there up on this mountain, it's probably Mount Hermon, which is about uh, 12 miles from where they are in Caesarea Philippi. He takes them up on this mountain, and when they're up there, uh, the Bible says that he was transfigured. Uh, the word there is the in Greek is the word metamorpho. Now, you don't need to know that, but it's the word that we get, uh, our word metamorphosis. It means that he was not just changed in how he was dressed. He was changed in how he looked completely. In other words, they see for the first time, this is not simply Clark Kent. This is Superman, okay? This is the Son of God. And he is revealed before them in all of his glory. They see him in dazzling white clothes. It says, whiter than anyone in the world can bleach him. He is glowing up there and with him stand Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? In the Jewish mind, the Old Testament scriptures are referred to as the law and the prophets. If you're going to talk about the Old Testament, uh, you're going to talk about the law and the prophets, and that's the term that you're going to use. The greatest lawgiver, Moses. The greatest prophet, Elijah. Okay? And they are standing with Jesus. And and Peter, because he, you know, like I say, last week, you know, he buys his shoes in three, so he can put one in his mouth, okay? But in any case, he opens his mouth. He doesn't know what to say, and so he speaks, right? <laughs> um, I've done that a few times, right? Not knowing what to say, he said. Um, in any case, uh, Peter speaks, and he says, Lord, it's good for us, or actually, he doesn't say Lord, he says, Rabbi it's good for us to be here. Let's build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Notice how he addresses him. He calls him not Lord, but Rabbi, teacher. Okay? He sees Jesus as basically standing on the same level, in other words, as Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Not as different in kind than Moses and Elijah, but sort of similar. He's a great prophet like Elijah. He's the great king who was to come, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. is kind of the progression in Peter's mind. And so God takes the opportunity to clear it up for Peter and everybody else. And he speaks from the cloud. Why from a cloud? Because in the Old Testament, God revealed his presence to the Israelites as a nation in a cloud on top of a mountain, you may Remember? Mount Sinai, God's presence dwelt above the the mountain in a cloud, and he literally spoke from the mountaintop. Remember? And the Israelites all said, don't speak to us directly anymore. It's too scary. Talk to Moses, have him tell us what you said. Okay? And God speaks from the cloud on top of the mountain, and he does not say, Jesus is a great prophet. He does not say, Jesus is the king who was to come. He says, this is my son whom I love. In other words, Peter, shut your mouth. This is not, he is not like these other two guys that are up here. He is not like any of the three of you. He is a man like the three of you, a man like Moses and Elijah, but he is my son. Whom I love. Listen to him. Peter, you got the wrong idea. He is not simply a man. He is not simply a great prophet. He is not not simply a giver of another kind of law. He is the Son of God. And Jesus is present among them. The kingdom of God came with power right here. In fact, Peter, uh, in one of his letters, is going to say that part of the evidence that he knows that Jesus is the Son of God, it says, we saw him on the mountain. This is what he's talking about. We saw the glory of God revealed. Um, Up to now, Peter has not understood that being the Messiah means being the Son of God. Now Peter understands. (laughs) Or at least I hope so. He's starting to. It's starting to set up in his mind that that this is a different kind of Messiah than the one I thought we were getting. But they they come down the mountain and they're um, I've titled it "Dazed and Confused" because that's what the disciples are. They just kind of go, "Wow, what was that about? That was something." Because they look around and they see just Jesus with them. The cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. And they're just confused. And Jesus, because Jesus starts to tell them, don't tell anybody what will happen until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Now, that little line, you remember we've seen over and over again Jesus say to people, don't tell anyone about this. Because he wants them to understand who he is first and then to put that into context with what he has done for them or with them. This is the last time in the book of Mark that Jesus will tell somebody not to tell anybody what they've just seen or what they've just had happen. This is the last time. And it's also the only time in the entire book that he puts a time limit on it. And it's just until after the resurrection. Because once the resurrection happens, all of this that has just occurred will make sense. They will know that Jesus is the Son of God that I didn't imagine that incident up on the mountain. We did not have a group hallucination and fantasize this. This actually happened because Jesus will give proof to the entire world that he is the Son of God by being raised from the dead. He says, so wait until I have risen from the dead. And they're so confused, they go, I wonder what rising from the dead means. (laughs) Okay, Um, and they're just talking about it amongst themselves. They don't have a category for Jesus Himself being rise risen from the dead. They they being good Jews, they know that there is a resurrection, but they're thinking it's a general resurrection of all of the saints. And so Jesus says, wait until I've risen from the dead. They're like, Well, if Jesus is talking about rising from the dead, the rising from the dead happens at the end of everything. And so Jesus is saying the end of everything must be near. So what does that mean? We're not all dead yet. What's going on? How does this work? And so they they ask him a question, and they say, look, um, how can the end be near? Elijah's supposed to come. How can the end be near? Elijah's supposed to come before the Messiah to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of Messiah, and and Elijah hasn't come. We just saw him, but that, that was different, and what's going on here, Jesus? They're confused. What does he mean, rising from the dead? And so in verse 11, they finally get enough clarity, they ask a question. (laughs) They say, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? In other words, Jesus, if you're going to rise from the dead, the general resurrection is at the end of all things, um, but Elijah hasn't come yet, as far as we can tell, so why do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first then? And then I I want you to notice some real subtle grammatical distinctions in Jesus' answer, okay? Because they're important, not because I love grammar, but because they're important to understanding Jesus and what he's trying to say and what he's trying to teach them, okay? Look at what he says. He says, To be sure, Elijah does come first. Actually, how that literally reads in Greek is, Elijah is coming first and is restoring all things, is literally how it reads. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, Past tense, And they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, um, Jesus is saying, in other words, that there is a certain sense in which Elijah's coming is yet to be, as he's giving the answer. And yet there's also a certain sense in which his coming has already happened. Did you get that as we walk through it? That in other words, Elijah is yet coming, but he has already come in a certain way, okay? Um, In other words, there will be not just one coming of Elijah, but two comings of Elijah. And Jesus is teaching them that because he wants them to understand that there is not just one coming of Messiah also, but there are two comings of Messiah. Uh, let me Let me clarify this here a little bit, all right. Um, John the Baptist, according to Jesus, here in this text, he is the Elijah who has come. In other words, if you can handle it, John was Elijah, and he has come already, and he suffered and died because only a certain part of the nation was prepared for the coming of Messiah. And in the same way, Jesus in his first coming, just like Elijah, John, is going to suffer and die. But there will be a second coming, and Elijah will announce that one as well. How do I know? Turn to Revelation 11, okay, and you will see how I know, all right? Uh, Look at Revelation chapter 11, and you'll see this. All right, this is exciting stuff. All right, you get to know what is going to happen in the future before it happens. Very cool. All right, Uh, Revelation 11, beginning in verse 3. This is what John uh, says. He's recording here the words of Jesus. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. In other words, three and a half years clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. The lampstand and the olive tree represent Israel. Um, If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying, and they will have power to turn the waters into blood and strike the earth at every kind of plague that they as often as they want. Now, who is the prophet who ma- who made sure that it did not rain for three and a half years? Elijah. Who is the prophet who called down fire from heaven? Elijah. Who is the who is the um, prophet who was able to turn the Nile River into blood? And to bring about plagues on the land of Egypt. Moses. Who were the two guys who were standing with Jesus on the mountaintop? Moses and Elijah. Okay. I think, this is just my personal opinion. There are a lot of commentators who agree with me. But I think that Moses and Elijah will be the two witnesses. Who will be there during the time of, of God's great judgment on the earth. Called the tribulation. Okay. That's yet future. And these two guys will come, and their job will be to prepare the nation for the coming of Messiah. So when Jesus says, Elijah is coming, this is when he's talking about Revelation 11, okay? When he says, Elijah has come, he means John, who announced the first coming of Jesus. And because of the ministry of these two witnesses, the nation is of Israel as a whole will turn toward Jesus and receive him as Messiah. Now that hadn't happened yet, but one day it will. Uh, Elijah has come, Elijah is yet coming. All right? Um Now, this this message might be a little hard for you to get your arms around. Uh it's you know, it deals with some stuff that is some some strange material, right, about the coming of the Lord and about the coming of the two witnesses who will prophesy and turn the nation toward the Messiah. But Jesus is saying, I'm not that kind of Messiah, at least not yet. The day is coming when Messiah will return. Elijah will announce him, and then, uh, as Revelation says, I saw a rider on a white horse. And the name of him who sat upon it was faithful and true. And he had a sharp sword coming out of his mouth with which to judge the nation. And he had a name tattooed on his thigh, which is known only to him. And he wears a ro- robe dipped in blood for the judgment of the nations. Okay? And he will restore the nation of Israel. And they will there will be a kingdom, like the disciples were thinking, on which David, uh, Jesus will sit on David's throne and reign from Jerusalem. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron, and there will be justice finally on the earth. As the prophet said, let justice roll down like a river, like an ever-flowing stream, and God will bring righteousness and justice to the earth forevermore. Okay, That kingdom is going to be established, but it's not here in mark 9 it's later revelation 11 and following okay that uh elijah is going to come and he's trying to explain to them again i'm not the kind of messiah you're thinking of at least not yet the restoration of the kingdom to israel that'll happen but not now right now i'm the suffering servant isaiah prophesied who will give his life as a ransom for many. And you need to fit that into your theology too, he's telling them and telling us. All right, a um, couple points of application here before we go to communion. Number one, Jesus is the Son of God, so listen to him. God's words to Peter come across just as clearly to us, Right? Sometimes we can spend so much time talking to God that we do not take time to actually listen to what He is trying to tell us, right? A lot of times our prayer life can, can become something in which um, all we're doing is bringing to God our list of I-wants. I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and oh, by the way, if you could do this for me, that would be fantastic, and this is really good, and we just kind of keep talking. And then we go, all right, in Jesus' name, amen. That's all I got to say, right? But because Jesus is God and not a cosmic butler for us, we need to remember to listen to him. Those of us who like to talk, amen, those of us who like to talk need to remember to listen. I tell the kids at Awana when I speak, they get too rowdy. I say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion, (laughs) all right? Um, But we need to remember that as we come before God, not simply to just come to him with all the things we have to say in all of our brilliance, but to listen to what he is trying to tell us too. Listen through His Word. Listen to the voice of the Spirit within you as He indwells you and you study His Word. God will make His will and His ways known. If you listen to what He's trying to say. Uh, Other thing, Jesus is coming again in glory this time. And so we need to look for His appearing we believe at this church in the pre-millennial, that is prior to the establishment of Jesus' earthly reign, return of Christ to the earth with his bride, the church. Okay? Jesus is coming back, and we need to look for his appearing. Peter talks about how we are to speed his coming that we are to anticipate it and look forward to it and know that perhaps today the Lord might return. Perhaps tomorrow, perhaps this year, perhaps next year, perhaps next week. We don't know. What we do know is we don't have all day until Jesus returns. Perhaps it will be in my lifetime, perhaps in my children's, perhaps today. Jesus is returning, and so we ought to look for his, uh, his appearing and to order our lives around that event. I said before, uh, uh, as I've talked about this, and but this is, I'm going to use it again, it's the best illustration I can come up with. On the day that I got engaged to my bride, I sent her on a scavenger hunt to all the places that we had been on our first date, okay? Um. I am at the end at a footbridge with a ring okay I thought since she had a car that she would drive to these various locations but no she walked (laughs) okay and so I stood there on that bridge looking lonely and sad with a ring for an hour and a half (laughs) okay and I thought, well, maybe she wised up and said no. <laughs> okay. But eventually, my bride arrived. I was speeding her coming, right? I was looking for her to arrive. And then I got down on one knee, and I proposed. And to my everlasting astonishment, she said yes. <laughs> okay. Um But we ought to have the same attitude about waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus. That we don't know when He's returning. We don't know when we will be united with Him. But we know that it's soon. And He is coming again. And so we are looking for His appearing. And we are ordering our lives around the fact that He is coming back for us. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion.